Hello everyone! I am so happy that you're back and I wish you a very warm welcome back to our podcast. For everyone who's new, I am Rika and this is a podcast of Promote Ukraine called Ukraine Up to Date. We put together the most interesting, relevant and important topics and events about Ukraine and talk about it. So in case you want to stay on top of things that are happening in and around Ukraine, don't worry, we got you and we keep you up to date. So to start with, I have very great news for you. So the uh, sixth edition of the Brussels Ukraine Review is out now. So make sure to read it, to get your own copy, and you can do that on promoteukraine.org. I will also put a link for you in the description box um, for this podcast as well, so you can find it. But without further ado, let's get started, shall we? The Ukrainian authorities have launched a process of vaccination against COVID-19 for those citizens of Ukraine who live in the temporarily occupied territories of the Donetsk and Luhansk regions and in Crimea and who belong to priority groups, which means if they are over 65 years old. At the same time, citizens who have registered and received an ID should not undergo self-isolation or observation upon arrival in government-controlled territory um, yeah, this is what the State Border Guard Service of Ukraine posts on its Facebook page. At the same time, Ukrainian border guards noted that Russian-sponsored militants in the occupied territories had completely blocked road corridors through the Shastya, Zolote, Knutove, Majorske and Marinka checkpoints. Traffic through the Novotroitsk checkpoint, which the occupiers unblock only twice a week, is partially open, but passenger traffic is significantly limited. Daily check-in operations were carried out only at the Stanitsa Luhanska checkpoint. And as a reminder, the last weekend, mass vaccination centers were opened in Kiev, Lviv and Odessa. And on the 5th of June, vaccination centers started operating in five more regions. The Ukrainian authorities will act immediately against any attempts to legitimize the occupation of Crimea by the Russian Federation. If at least one plane of the Belarusian Airlines arrives in the territory of the occupied peninsula, sanctions with all the consequences will be inevitable. The first deputy minister of foreign affairs of Ukraine, Emin Japar, said this in response to statements by Alexander Lukashenko regarding the appeal to Russia and Vladimir Putin about the possible launch of flights to the occupied Crimea. According to the Ukrainian official, these statements are provocative in nature and probably are an emotional reaction of Lukashenko to Ukraine's cancellation of flights with Belarus. She also stressed that the decision to restrict flights with Belarus was not political, but a security one, because um, the sanctions of the Belarusian authorities are unpredictable and, well, we cannot assess in advance all the risks of being in the airspace of Belarus. Also, Japar noted that Ukraine stood in full solidarity with the position of the EU, the United States and the entire democratic world on the reaction to Lukashenko's dangerous actions. And um, yes, to quote the first deputy foreign minister of Ukraine, uh, this bother and provocation, as Lukashenko put it, was started not by Ukraine, but by the Belarusian authorities themselves, apparently according to the Kremlin scenario. The stronger Putin is hugging Lukashenko, the less chance there is for Belarus to remain a truly independent and sovereign state. Ordinary Belarusians who are dear to us already suffer from Lukashenko's reckless and provocative actions. 
And she also stated that according to international law, Crimea and Donbass are Ukraine, of course, while Russia brutally violated by occupying Crimea and unleashing aggression in eastern Ukraine, for which it will be held liable. And to quote her again, if Lukashenko wants to share this responsibility with Putin on the same dock in The Hague and further strengthen his international isolation, it is, of course, his personal choice. But I'm convinced it is not the choice of the Belarusian people who are friendly to Ukrainians. And yeah, the other day, Lukashenko stated that Belarus and Russia were discussing the launch of flights to the occupied Crimea. The relevant institutions were already given to the competent agencies. Well, export of Russian corruption. First report, medicine. Yeah, this is uh, the name of the report that describes the situation in Russia during the COVID-19 pandemic. The paper was presented at the online event of Friends of European Russia, which is an informal platform of the European Parliament, mentored by Lithuanian MEP Andreas Kubilius. The report is the first in a series of analysis of the export of Russian corruption abroad and especially to the EU. To uh, quote uh, Leonid Volkov, who is a Russian politician and chief of staff to Alexei Navalny, in the past 20 years of Putin's rule, corruption became a modus operandi in the Russian state. He also explained that after the poisoning and arrest of Navalny, it became clear that Europe should respond with targeted sanctions against those people on whom Putin's corruption relies. According to Volkov, it is necessary to show people in the EU and other countries a link between corruption and violation of human rights and between corruption and political repression in Russia. This project is implemented by a collaboration of Russian opposition politicians aiming to research and uncover the extent to which the export of corruption from Russia endangers the very foundations of European society. The author of the report, Mikhail Maglov from Scanner Project, said that he used publications in the independent media to describe how the Russian authorities respond to challenges to the current pandemic. And I quote, there are a lot of professional doctors in Russia. There are real heroes who every day rescue other people's lives. But unfortunately, they are also within the current system and its, its hostages. I am convinced that the current Russian healthcare system is built on two important tenets, lies and corruption. A lie is needed to cover up corruption and corruption breeds more and more lies. He actually also gave some examples of such lies. So, for example, there are fake medical research papers and it is possible to buy for a really, really low price fake certificates for weapons licenses or driving licenses and uh, fake certificates of the absence of coronavirus. And to quote Maglov again, false certificates of education or advanced trainings are also issues or about the quality of the medical equipment, as was the case with those ventilators that caught fire and killed several people. At the beginning of the pandemic, the Kremlin denied the dangers of coronavirus. Then it started massive disinformation campaigns in many countries and gave wrong figures about the number of infected people and also the mortality rate. And as Anastasia Valisieva, who is the head of the Russian Doctors' Alliance, said, well, in this case, Putin and his colleagues aim not to reduce lethality, but to use it for political purposes. For, for medics, this is outrageous, of course. And uh, they are manipulating international relations, using them to show their importance. 
They have a very painful perception of Russia's place in the international arena. But you, you just cannot use people's health for political purposes. And there should be sanctions for people who allow this. And David Stulik, the head of the Eastern European Programme, the European Value Centre for Security Policy, also underlines that the Kremlin has been playing its political game. Once again, I quote, Unfortunately, the pandemic was misused by Russian propaganda, by the Russian regime, for promoting its geopolitical interests. Earlier, we saw that, for example, gas and oil were used as um, geopolitical weapons. And in this regard, here it was Russian vaccine Sputnik V that serves this purpose of serving geopolitical interests. And uh, Mikhail Maglov uh, thinks that, in principle, Sputnik V is quite good, but in general, it does lack transparency, and this is the biggest problem. Uh, Jurgi Zilchinskas, the head, deputy head of Division Strategic Communications and Information Analysis at the European External Action Service, pointed out that with the new vaccine, Moscow changed its uh, disinformation narrative. So as he said, because we have different countries rolling out their own vaccines, I think we moved through the stage of masked diplomacy, where China and Russia were active players to essentially vaccine diplomacy. And if we try to conceptualize what the Kremlin's vaccines diplomacy is, I think you can speak about a couple of things. I think from the Kremlin's perspective, the EU is very much kind of a zero-sum game where you promote your own vaccine and, on the other hand, you downgrade and undermine trust in all other available vaccines. According to him, we can draw some lessons from Russia's policy regarding the pandemic. First of all, it is obvious that information space and disinformation really have an impact. And secondly, it is very, very, very important to offer access to professional sources and doctor, doctor's opinions about vaccines. And uh, as Jorgos uh, Vilchinskas said, we need to invest in resources for capabilities to recognize disinformation. We have to cooperate to coordinate setting partnerships with online platforms. And uh, yes, yeah, a reminder in September, Russian opposition politicians and experts plan to present a new report on corruption in Russia. The project aims to raise awareness among European decision makers and voters, as well as to suggest the ways to deal with the growing threat that Putin presents to Europe. Ukrainian law enforcement agencies are considering various scenarios and intensifying their response, in particular at critical and gas infrastructure facilities due to the launch of Nord Stream 2. This is what the Minister of Internal Affairs of Ukraine, Arsenavakov, said after exercises in the Kharkiv region, in which units of the National Police, the National Guard, the State Emergency Service and the State Border Guard Service took part. The minister reminded that the day before, Russian President Vladimir Putin had announced the completion of the construction of the first line of the Nord Stream 2 gas pipeline. As the minister said, gas is still transported via our gas pipeline and must be transported for a while further, and then probably Putin plans to start bypassing Ukraine. Therefore, we expect that there will be provocations and attempted terrorist attacks on our section of the gas pipeline. And then they will say, well, look, you see, that's why we transported through Nord Stream 2. 
And we have enough such situations and information from intelligence agencies. So we, based on this, consider different scenarios and strengthen the response. The day before, the Secretary of the National Security and Defense Council of Ukraine, Alexei Danilov, stated that the Nord Stream 2 project poses a threat both to Ukraine and to many states that understand what the Russian Federation is. And, uh, well, to quote, discussions are ongoing today. In the United States, Republicans insist that sanctions will be extended. Unfortunately, we do not have a direct opportunity to influence these uh, processes. But believe me, all our diplomatic staff are involved in this process and are doing everything necessary to stop all this. Also, according to him, uh, there are powerful players in Europe who are interested in cooperation with Russia. First of all, it is Germany and France, which are currently political and economic partners of the Russian Federation. And um, as Danilov said, we are very upset about this because these countries refused to provide n the NATO membership action plan to Georgia and Ukraine in 2008, when almost everything was ready. In his opinion, concern over violation of the borders of countries defined in 1991 is too little in the democratic world. The NSDC secretary recalled that concern was expressed in 1937 and 1939, and uh, well, it ended with the beginning of World War II. So, Kremlin's irrational policy deprives Russia of its allies and brings the West to its senses. So, on the night of the 4th of June, powerful explosions rocked the warehouses in the Sloboda plant in the Serbian town of Kasak, I hope I pronounce it correctly, um, which specializes in the production of artillery ammunition. Plant workers and the residents of surrounding areas were luckily evacuated. And you must admit that the idea of yet another operation by Russian special services suggests itself. Um, like, should the Serbian investigators check whether Sloboda supplied its products to Ukraine? They are well-known precedents. And the fact that Serbia is perhaps the most pro-Russian country in the European Union is not enough to protect it against Russian sabotage. Meanwhile, another EU country, very loyal to Russia until recently, sees important political processes. The Czech Senate is set to vote next week on whether President Miloš Zeman should remain in office. The accusations prepared by the Czech Senate Committee on Foreign Affairs, Defense and Security are very serious. In the 45-page document, committee chair Pavel Fischer explains why Zeman cannot perform presidential duties. The list of grievances is quite striking. So we have actions to the detriment of the interests of the Czech Republic in favor of a foreign state, disrespect for Czech statehood, attacks on representative government, and negligence in the use of classified information. And the report also reads that Miloš Zeman's actions have long been in compatible with the constitution. A high point was his actions related to the investigation into the Vrbetice explosions. Of course, the reason for such actions by senators is not a mere concern for national interests and protection of the state. Elections to the lower house of the parliament, the Chamber of Deputies, will take place in October and the formation of the needed context for the election campaign is a separate goal of the current coalition's opponent, um, who are more numerous in the Senate. 
it is the current chamber of deputies that is likely to stand in the way of the president's impeachment. So Prime Minister Andrei Babis, populist ANO party, the Social Democrats and the communists form a coalition majority. However, the pressure exerted by society can do its part. Rallies are being held in the Czech Republic under the slogans Milos go away and Zeman is Kremlin's agent. The explosions at military depots in 2014, involvement of Russian military intelligence officers, including well-known agents Anatoly Chepiga, known as Ruslan Bashirov, and Alexander Mishkin as Alexander Petrov, in which uh, was established by Czech intelligence, became a turning point in the Czech Republic's relations with Russia. The facts of Russian sabotage in the Czech Republic became known to the public in April this year and led to a sharp political cooling and utmost decline in diplomatic relations between the countries. Attempts by the Czech leadership to quell the conflict yielded, well, no result. In particular, Prime Minister Babish said that was not an act of hostility against the Czech Republic, but actions against a private company that had supplied weapons to Ukraine through Bulgaria. Zeman says that the version of Russian involvement may be untrue, and the explosions are caused by attempts to hide the shortages in warehouses rented by a mixed group. In other words, uh, Shipiga and Mishkin were in the Czech Republic at the same time with purely tourist intentions, as in uh, Salisbury in 2018 during the poisoning of Colonel Skripal and his daughter, where Russian agents seemed to admire the spires of the cathedral. <laughs> While the Czech episode leads to another EU country known for widespread pro-Russian sentiment, Bulgaria. After Russian intelligence involvement in the Vrbetice explosions became known, investigative journalists from the Bellingcat Group showed that there was good reason to consider that Russian special services were also directly involved in an attempt to poison Bulgarian arms dealer Emilian Gebrev, whose products could be stored in the Czech warehouses with a Novichok nerve agent. In addition, suspicious explosions hit Bulgaria as well. Currently, the Bulgarian prosecutor's office is investigating not only the poisoning of Gebrev, but also the explosion at the warehouse of Gebrev's company in the village of Lovnidol in 2011. From there, the ammunition was to be sent to Georgia. In March and April of 2015, similar explosions rocked the warehouses in the village of Iganova and in March of 2020, a warehouse in Maglish. Furthermore, the evidence in the case of the explosions in Iganova was destroyed in the fire at the Sofia Institute of Special Equipment in 2015 in a remarkable manner. Well, six Russian intelligence officers who must have taken part in those events were established. That is why, given the Czech-Bulgarian history of Russian saboteurs and uh, poisoners' adventures, it is difficult not to react to the explosions in Serbia in a certain way. All this series of frightening episodes that have happened, that, that are happening actually, testify to several important things. First, uh, this, and this is one that's really obvious, I'd say, Russia feels very comfortable and defiant in the countries of the European Union and NATO and is not reluctant to indulge in committing acts of state terrorism in their territory. The Kremlin demonstrates openly that it dares to do this, and so far nothing has convinced it that the price it will have to pay will be exorbitant. 
Second, illusions about the rationality of the Russian leadership's policy should be put aside. The annexation of Crimea and the invasion of Ukraine in 2014 were explained by Putin's somewhat understandable attempt to raise ratings, although Russia has since embarked on the path of an international outcast. There is yeah, simply no rational explanations for the actions that lead to the inevitable burial of relations with the lost countries of Europe, where sentiments towards Russia were still preserved. Here we can also mention that uh, the att attempted coup d'etat in Montenegro in 2016, in which representatives of Russia's military intelligence service were also involved, including former uh, deputy military attaché to Poland, Eduard uh, Shishmakov, and yeah, after a scandal around the expulsion of diplomats, the Czech Republic, along with the United States, is now on Russia's list of hostile countries approved by the Russian government. It is unclear how Russia's benefits here, actually. There is a sarcastic meme about uh, Varanish town, which Russia bombards every time it wants to punish the West. Um, the Czechs, Bulgarians, and Montenegrins loyal to Russia are somewhat residents of Varanish the Allies punished because of enemies. And then third, and the episode with Zeman is yeah, illustrative here, the West, even yesterday's so-called uh, Putin Fashteas, facing the danger that is openly demonstrated by Russia, begins to zealously defend their civilizational values, which become targets of Kremlin's hybrid operations. It is one thing to impose sanctions as a way to punish violators of international norms, and it is another thing to defend the purity of domestic policy which, within which outspoken supporters of Putin and uh, his political methods can no longer be tolerated as the lives and safety of citizens are at stake. This uh, pivot towards the West's rethinking of its values, in contrast to what is happening in Russia and Belarus, is also the result of the Kremlin's effort. Unfortunately, it happened, it happens, much later than it should have. A very high price needs to be paid for pragmatic relations with inhumane regimes and endeavors not to notice or downplay their crimes. So I hope you enjoyed this episode of this podcast. Uh, I hope to see you next week. And as usual, make sure to share your thoughts with us. And we would really like to hear some feedback of you so we know what we can improve for you. And of course, if you want to have even more information on Ukraine-EU-Russia relations and read other articles, you can visit promoteukraine.org. Org. Also, make sure to follow us on social media where we have a lot more interesting information as well. You can find us everywhere under the name Promote Ukraine. But for now, I wish you a wonderful week and I hope to see you next week with some fresh and new information.